Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Can I say something that I think is bullshit? You're a fool, would you? Yes, we sell out. He also told me he was on acid. Now you better wash that mic off. I was gonna fill it up with my own urine. Alcoholica. And I talked about digging a hole in a fucking dirt and smoking hash through the ground. Oh, I don't know, there's all kinds of shit. And shower filled with women. Set your ass down, Lara. Shoot a pair of women's legs walking down the street. Eight women washing you down at once, you know? Come up here, Lars points to me. <laughs> And his skin is bubbling like I'm a toxic Avenger. Boyfriends and dads looking for me. Ten minutes? Singing along, fucking along, doing this something to fuck along. Here we go! Yo, Duder, this is Bob O'Rourke from Chicago, Jeff and Shane's OG guest and ratings bar setter. And you're listening to him podcast for all. All right, then. Back to a podcast for all. I'm Shane Obershaw. And I am Jeff Winslow. Jeff, season six, episode three, and podcast for all almost made national news today. Oh, really? And how was that? I was going through a TSA checkpoint, all our friends at the uh, TSA at the airport. Yeah. that Remember, TSA stands for Tub Stackers of America. <laughs> or Thousands Standing Around. Uh, I like tub stackers. Think of something in my think of something in my luggage that's long and skinny. Hmm. Wow, that sounds. And all you women can get your mind out of the gutter as you're listening to this. They're thinking of something phallic. <laughs> <laughs> so there's um, so there's certain airports where I bypass security with what my job is, and there's a couple airports where I have to get screened. It's just what it is. So going through what, the scanner have a, and you have a selfie stick in there. <laughs> yeah, going through the scanner, and of course, you know the agents like, "Oh, bag check," and I'm in uniform, and they say, "Oh, there's something long and skinny that's suspicious in your luggage. Can we look for it?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah." If I say no, what are my what are my fucking odds, right? What are my fucking choices? I have to say yes. Right. Guess what was long and skinny that almost got taken away? And what is it? What, what was it? Oh, the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> the In Podcast for All microphone was a TSA threat today at a uh, undisclosed airport. I'll leave it at that. You should have just told them it was something, something bigger than that, and maybe we could have got a little bit of uh, hype. They said it looked like a pipe bomb. Their words, not mine. Oh, wow. He dropped the B word. So I didn't know that an Audica, <laughs> Audio-Technica mic was a pipe bomb to the uh, tub stackers of America. Yeah, bring it to Bahrain next time we go there. What happened to you there? There was something that had to get scanned. No, there was nothing that happened to me. It was, it was our bass player. Oh, his, his cables were too long. Yeah, but he had, uh, let's see, a quarter the amount of cable. You're not supposed to travel with more than 10 foot, I think is what it was, and he had a 10-foot cable. 
in his pedal board case and I had two 20 foot cables in my backpack <laughs> and I walked right through there and back yeah. and he on the way back when we left Bahrain coming back to America he got stopped and they made him like basically strip down to everything and then I remember Bill walked through the metal detector went off and the guy just goes oh you're okay just keep going that's yeah and that's what basically happened like, to me too what? like I went through and they were like oh yeah you're good I'm like all right cool walk on through with my 40 foot of cable <laughs> must have been the long hair yeah something like that you know real quick I see you're in Texas right now and I am. speaking of speaking of flying I'm sure you heard about what happened today I think I think it was in Texas wasn't it uh, an airplane had to it was not a good day for a crew in Houston this morning yeah okay so it was Texas I thought I saw that this morning that an airplane went down. Nobody died, and you and you didn't God. text me. I just I, you just don't care. Uh, no, that's not it. Because I knew if I <laughs> I knew if I texted you, you would say something back like, "See, I told you everybody would be all right." See, everyone walked away. That was an MD eighty seven in Houston that um, quote unquote failed to get airborne for an undisclosed reason. We don't know yet. Huh? What do you think the reason is? Are you able to say that? Um, I have my hunches, but then I'd be a Monday morning quarterback and I don't care for those people right. when it comes to my profession. Fair enough. No, that makes sense. Dude, it could be 10,000 different things that we could categorize into about two subjects, but it, in a year from now, when the final report comes out, you'll, you'll know. Right. But when you're going on a runway at 160 miles an hour and you're not getting into the air and the runway's running out, that's, that's a bad day at work. That's a, that's a bad day, and I can only imagine what that's like being a passenger. Yeah, not cool. We can laugh about it now because, amazingly, if you saw the crash footage, everybody made it out of that thing today. Yeah, I read the article. I saw the plane was just completely engulfed in flames, or as Ricky would say, the, there was flames golfing. They were golfing over there and <laughs> golfing over there. But, yeah, no, I, I saw it, and I was like, wow. I'm like, that's crazy. I had to had to read the article to find out if there were any deaths and yeah everyone walked away i think there was one minor injury so those people thank your lucky stars <laughs> very very lucky day it was a private md80 which if it was an airliner configuration it'd hold like 180 people right this was a private one i think there was 21 22 people on board they were actually going to the uh, red Sox game tonight they were a bunch of houston astro fans oh man that's a that's a rough day <laughs> so i think they watched the uh, game from uh, tv tonight yeah, needless to say, I don't think those 30 or so people are in a rush to jump back on an airplane to go watch so. baseball. Might be a while, but uh, from a pilot perspective, we're very interested to see what the uh, cause and report will say. That's that's a that's a rare one today. They got lucky. I'm curious myself. Dude, you've been watching uh, plane news. I've been watching Metallica news, and Knucklebones is coming out with a badass statue that I think I'm going to buy. I saw that little lady justice. So actually, it's probably pretty big. I don't think she's it, she's not little. Yeah, I was gonna say if it's anything like like the other things they put out, it's probably pretty good size. I saw it next to the James and Lars knucklebone statues, and it's significantly mm-hmm. larger. I'm I'm digging that. The detail on that's pretty sharp. Which, unlike the four band members, was kind of disappointing. But this one looks See, pretty now you're solid. Gonna... Now you're gonna buy all the other ones just so you can put Doris behind behind I, them. I don't think so. <laughs> it says limited edition though, which means pricey, and that's what scares me. Well, you'll have to buy a few of them, and we'll hand them out as 
at foot party favors. We'll, we'll see about that. I'll use your credit card. Okay. You got anything else in the news? We talked a lot last week. There hasn't been much this week because Aftershock wound down, and uh, we got a couple weeks off in between shows here. Yeah, no, I I didn't see anything new in the news. We're going to Nashville tonight. I love Nashville. I was there last year. You were? Right around this time. Yeah. What were you doing? Vacation. It was when we were in Hilton Head, so we drove there and back instead of flying like we normally do. Decided to do the old uh, Griswold family truckster style and road trip cross country. And Nashville was one of the stops, and it was it was a good time. Went to the, I think it was the Grammy Museum that they had there. Which was, it was amazing just the fact that we were able to do anything, because obviously last True. year there wasn't a lot going on. Um, but yeah, I went down there, got, of course I had to get some Nashville hot chicken, because I love it. That's kind of the law. You have to have chicken in Nashville. Yeah, absolutely. Went bar hopping, saw a bunch of bands. It was it was a good time. You didn't see the world's largest ball of twine or house of mud? No, I didn't, but I was looking for it. I think that's in Dodge City. Right. <laughs> uh, you, the fan that drives the show on a podcast for all, can come on. Just email us. It's a simple little thing called inpodcastforall at gmail.com. Come on the show. Drive the discussion. You decide the topics. You ready to bring also, them in? Yeah, go ahead. Also, leave us a seven-star review where you can. None of that five-star shit. Yep, we we shoot for the stars. We go above and beyond. See, we're go-getters. Couldn't have said it any better myself. You ready to go to Nashville, season six, episode three? Let's go, man. Here we go. The airport code there is BNA. I've never figured that out. BNA, hmm. Yeah, you think know. about that while we talk to this fine gentleman, and by the end, I'm going to ask you what BNA stands for. All right, I'll see if I can figure it out. All right, all the way from BNA, Nashville, Tennessee, please welcome Jason Sikowski. What's up, Jason? Well, you know, I'm just listening to you guys talk about Trailer Park Boys and Metallica News. Oh, he knows the Trailer Park Boys quotes. I love it. It doesn't get any better than that, does it, Jason? I'm, I'm a Canadian, so... Nice. Um, and I toured for a long time with a bunch of bands, but the funniest part of the Trailer Park Boys was we were on tour with, uh, I worked with Three Days Grace right from when they started to a oh, couple, wow. couple three million records or whatever. And uh, we were on tour with Evanescence and Seether in Philadelphia. We had to fly to Toronto to do this radio show for like this award for the Canadian Music or Radio Music Awards. Yep. Isn't Three Days Grace is from Canada, right? Yeah, from Peterborough, Ontario. Yep. And, uh, uh, trailer Park Boys were presenting to us, but this was like in 04 <laughs> or 3 or 4, somewhere in that time frame. And we weren't in Canada a bunch. Like we go and do like a two-week tour and then do like six months in the States. So I didn't know who the Trailer Park Boys were. So Bubbles and Ricky and Julie and all these guys show up <laughs> in, in the little backstage area by the curtains. And I'm like, and I'm hungover. I don't drink anymore. But at that point, hungover, mad that we had to fly, all this. And then Bubbles is there and the... You know, Julian's got a rum and coke. I'm like, who are these idiots? And I just want this to be over with. So they present and they're doing all the swearing thing. I'm like, what are these people doing? Right. And then that night they wanted us to come out and party with them. And I was like, I don't even want to be seen again with you guys. And then like six months later, Trailer Park Boys were the biggest thing ever. I was like, damn. <laughs> like should have gone out and had a drink with Julian. Well, I've seen them <laughs> since. But I mean, that was that was kind of the, you know, everyone in Canada knows each other kind of thing. So, so even so, even backstage, Jason Julian's got the the drink in hand at all times. They were in the full Ricky with the tear offs, bubbles with the glasses. <laughs> like I'm like, who? What is this group of people? 
I love <laughs> it. We could probably talk five hours just about Trailer Park Boys in Canada, eh? We we uh, yeah. See, I'm from Western Canada, so I'm not an A guy. <laughs> oh. Whereabouts? Um, I grew up in in uh, Saskatchewan, and then I lived in Vancouver for a long time. Nice, beautiful part of the country. And then toured the world for 12 years, bringing hard rock and heavy metal to the people. Nice. Let's get right to that. What do you, what do you do, Jace? What's your background? What you used to do? What are you doing now? Okay, my background is I grew up in a very small town of like 400 people in the middle of north of North Dakota and Saskatchewan. Always wanted to be in the rock and roll business to some degree. Didn't know what it was going to be and bought like, you know, I'm 46. So Metal Edge, Circus, Hit Parader, Rip. Hell yeah. All these magazines and, you know, you see like, you know, Guns N' Roses and Motley and, and, and all this. One of my friends was like, hey, I know this stuff's a little bit beyond, you know, the stuff you listen to, but check out this band Metallica. And this was like a tape, well, obviously a tape back then. So they said, skip four, like four skips on your Ghetto Blaster (laughs) to go to the song that you're probably going to like because the other stuff's too crazy. Like Blacken came on and I heard the backwards guitar stuff and then the first riff and I was like, I felt like I had to go to church. So I skipped. (laughs) (laughs) So this is just like a mixtape? No, it was the Justice record. Okay. Or the, the tape or whatever, right? Okay. Um, so then I went to one, and it was all like pretty in the beginning and clean and, and this, and then it started building up. And then when the double kick piece came in, I was like, you know, floored. I'm like, what is this? And then kind of, you know, kind of hung around that a bit. And then, you know, the black record came out, and <clears throat> obviously that was the ACDC version of Metallica. It was so simple, but, you know with huge songs and all that kind of thing. Hey, thanks so, to Bob Rock, your Canadian neighbor. Bob, yeah. Bob and then Mike, he's the engineer, and a whole bunch of other people. And my business partner in my other business, and my business that we do now, is the guy that engineered Justice. Toby? And he was the wow. guy. That, Toby, yeah. The guy that notoriously recorded all the missing bass parts that no one's ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> so your main business partner today is Toby? Yeah, Toby. Will, and, uh, you, will you thank him from the bottom of my heart for how Justice came out? Because, well, it's Jeff's favorite. It's my second favorite. Okay. And then in the future, you guys can thank him in on virtually or whatever. We do a absolutely. Yeah, Toby's done. Um, he did "Follow the Leader" by Corn. He did yep. "Divine Intervention" for Slayer. Yes. Seven Dust, biggest record. Five Alice in Chains records. Um, I believe one of your guys' favorite songs, Bread Fan. <laughs> I'll raise my hand to that. Yeah. So he was in there with He's the band. He's got quite the resume. Yeah. The Wallflowers, One Headlight, Motley Crue, Girls, no. Girls, Girls, um, and so on and so on. A bunch of other stuff. Kiss. All right, Jason, before we go any further, this, this episode could be 10 hours now from what you just told me. <laughs> we'll just put it in bite-sized pieces until people, you know, people want to hear more stuff. So how do you... Until they're ready to handle it all. Yeah, no kidding. This is like a, this feels like a box that we're ready to like present to the world here. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you go from listening to Justice in Black to meeting Toby to rocking the world and going on tour to what you're doing? What do you do now? Uh, we have a sleep and sound healing uh, website that's to do with, uh, well, obviously, sleep sounds, stuff to do for motivation. We have lullabies for kids. We've got frequency wow. healing stuff, to, um, stuff for tinnitus, cancer pain, lower GI stuff. It's like we have 16 different ones. And Toby and I have been working on that for, 
um, 11 years, wow. just him and I, wow. but, but he's been working on it since 2005 because he got in a, a bad car accident in 05 and all they do is just give you a bunch of pills for pain. And after like a year or so of taking pills, sure. all you do is you're just dependent on pills. So with his background of being a record producer and engineer, he went and did a bunch of research into sound healing and found out the whatever he needed to heal himself for nerve damage he created these these frequencies in the studio and played it for himself and cured his problem and then unearthed all this other stuff in the holistic space and then didn't really know what to do with it because we're talking like 2009 10 there wasn't spotify there wasn't netflix True. we had like dvds you'd play on your boombox kind of thing and it was like what do we do with this stuff do we like put it on some like overnight infomercial and mail it to people or we always thought streaming was the way but streaming was never ever advanced enough to facilitate what we needed to do at the time so it, it took us that length of time to <clears throat> kind of get to that point but back to the old uh rock and roll um roller coaster so that was 1989. First time I saw Metallica was in 1992 on the Black Record. Um, Guns and Roses tour? No, it wasn't with Guns and Roses. It was uh, it was just it was just them on their own. It was uh, May 18th of 1992. Okay. I bought tickets and then I won Snake Pit passes. So that was my first time seeing Metallica. First show in the, the Snake Pit. In, in the little diamond there, and then. Uh, so that was kind of like a, a big moment. And Metallica was obviously one of the giant bands at the time and still is. But When you were in there, did you notice any carjacks holding up the ramps? I was unaware of the carjacks until I heard that part you guys were talking about. I think we said that two or three weeks ago. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> it, it makes sense, but it's super dangerous. But when you're a teenager, you're just like, that. you know, they were superheroes and it was all magic at that point. Sure. There wasn't, you know, social media and I didn't know that... James Hetfield had chicken for dinner today or whatever, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Superheroes don't eat. Right. They, they don't eat. But What city was that in? Um, Saskatoon, which is, which is where I grew up, uh, 45 minutes outside of that on a farm. And, uh, you know, there was an like annual concert came through town. Like that year was Metallica. The next year was Guns N' Roses. And At some hockey arena that maybe held, what, 9,000 people? Yeah, about 12. Gotcha. And and the funniest thing is, is I've gone back to that arena touring with Slash with Velvet Revolver and uh, a, a bunch Motley Crew. I did a tour with Motley, and we went through there too. Was what that was my first concert I seen as a as a kid was Motley Crew and Tesla. Oh, cool! That's so, gotta come full circle though when you worked for Motley and then you returned to the arena where you saw your first show. Well, it's completely crazy, and now Mick Mars is my neighbor. Like he lives like three miles or three minutes away from where I live now. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I go to Whole Foods and Mustangs there, and dude from Skid Row and the Corn Guys and Robert Plant pops in every now and again. It's very strange. And this is all in Nashville. Yeah, in Franklin, I live south of town. Jeff, we need to go to the grocery store in Frank in Franklin for our future guests. Salad yeah. salad bar on Tuesdays. I'll see you there. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I think of Mick Mars, I think of his behind the music when he had just the two rows for the mustache. Oh, right. Do you remember oh, those? Two thing, yeah. Yeah, just the two right here, straight down. I was like, that is just classic Motley Mick. He's such a nice guy. 
He's like I hear that from it. everyone. I've never met him, but I, I've heard that from multiple people. Yeah, and then Vince lives like 15 minutes down the road in, in a house that Timberlake thought was too big. Vince just had a bad night on stage a couple nights ago. He fell off the stage in um, in Pigeon Forge. What's up Pigeon with all these Forge. rockers? Have played there before? That sounds familiar. When you said Pigeon Forge, it just it, for some reason I feel like I've been there before. It sounds very familiar. It's a big touristy place, like right over by Dollywood. What's right? up with all but, these glam bands that go from L.A. to Nashville? That's is that where you go to retire, Jason? What's up with that? Income tax. <laughs> that explains it. Yeah, yeah, no. No state income tax and, and low property tax. The complete opposite of Los Angeles. You are entirely correct. So we have like um, Tommy Shaw lives over here. Meatloaf lives around the corner. Oh, I love sticks. Um, who else is here? Well, Kid Rock lives here, of course, but he, he lives up. I knew that. Half, yep. Half an hour from me. Um, who else? Uh, he said Rachel Bolin from Skid Row, the bass player. Yep. Um, Cinderella, uh, Slaughter. Um, I think Aaron Lewis lives in Nashville. Yeah, Aaron, Aaron lives here. Daughtry lives here. The Three Doors guys. That was me and Toby's connection with Three Doors Down. Jason, do you work with Three Doors Down? Yes, I've known them since before Kryptonite was on the radio. Oh, wow. So, wow. so we'll, we'll go back and I'll do the old uh, Metallica touring arc here. Before I forget, were you working with Three Doors during 2016, 2017? No. Okay. No, I, yeah, I, I've... They're some of my best friends in the in the rock and roll business, but I stopped touring in 2007. Jeff and I got to play with Three Doors and Sturgis in in 16, and had a hell of a oh, the day Buffalo, with them. Buffalo Buffalo Chip, yeah, Buffalo Chip, yeah, yeah. Three Doors is like the nicest band. Yeah, absolutely. They were very nice, and they're back. Like they just did the 20th anniversary of the Better Life record, and I missed it when it was here. Aww. And all the shows were sold out to the roof. It was fantastic. Good to hear. It looked amazing. All right, so backtrack, Jason. Let's 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 get back on the. What do you want to talk about? You want to talk about Motley? You want to talk about Metallica? You want to talk about well, Dave Mustaine? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? I don't believe in God. We've we've got so many avenues to go down here. That's is why you, the fan, have to drive the show. Eighty-eight, eighty-nine, Justice, ninety-two, Metallica. Graduated in nineteen ninety-three. Um, grew up, like I said, live in a small town. Moved over to Alberta, to Calgary for about a year, and then realized that there was no music scene there. At that point, I wanted to be a guitar player, but all the guitar players that were playing in the cover bands were better than me. And they were all broke. So I was like, well... (laughs) (laughs) Jeff, are you broke? I could could always use a little bit more. See, there there you are. There's never enough. (laughs) Um, So I was like, well, if these guys are better than me and they don't have any money, then what am I going to do? So I moved to Vancouver... And then very quickly, I went, okay, if I work with bands, I get to see all these shows, I make money, and I'm not nailed to rock, country, metal, pop. I can do everything. And at that point, I just wanted to learn. So I basically do any job. And I I was telling a friend of mine earlier tonight, my first week working with bands was Pantera and White Zombie. Oh, wow. The next night was Neil Diamond. Then I did three shows with Garth Brooks, Jeez. then Alanis, and then Sting. That was my first week at work. <laughs> Seven days on the job, and that's... I wouldn't even know where to start or end with that kind of list. Right. Well, right, and I made like two grand, and I got free t-shirts every night. I was like, this is like the coolest thing ever. Hashtag winning. Yeah, Charlie Sheen stuff. 
Um, so I did, I did all that stuff, and then I really wanted to tour with bands. So, you know, I read this article in a Guitar World magazine that said, if you want to tour with a band, find a local band that's on the radio and go to their thing and introduce yourself. So basically I did that. I, I was doing some show, and then I ended up at this, like, after-hours uh, club in, in Vancouver, and this band that had put an ad in the newspaper ended up being at this after party, like five o'clock in the morning, and they just got a record deal with A&M, and they were looking for a guy to work with them. So I was familiar with guitars, so they said we need a guy to come and work with us starting in like 10 days, and I didn't drink, and I didn't do this, and I had this you know rock and roll kind of vibe. Yeah, you had your shit together. And uh, well, they all drank and partied a bunch. Um, so I started working with those guys, and here's a curveball you probably aren't going to see coming. About five gigs into working with those guys, there was a, a band that had song on the radio. They had girls in the audience, and they were a sellout. Remember, it's like 1995, 1996. And uh, they were getting paid 50 bucks to open up for the band that I worked for that predominantly drew guys that <laughs> didn't wear their shirts that much. <laughs> and that band was Nickelback. Oh, <laughs> just a small bar name yeah (laughs) so so with those guys and i was making 20 bucks a gig to work so i told nickelback i was like hey if you guys need me to do one of your shows i'm going for 40 bucks you know trying to give myself a raise (laughs) what a deal so then i'd work with with the band i worked with with nickelback whoever would pay me doing these gigs at all these different you know arenas and so on just to learn and then that band that i worked with got the greatest hits tour with motley Crue. In 1999, right when Tommy got out of jail. I remember that. I saw that tour. The whole Pam Anderson kind of thing. And uh, so I did that tour. Back up a minute. Was this Laid Law? No, Laid Law came after that. Just, okay. This band was called Noise Therapy. But Laid Law, Nikki signed them after. I remember Laid Law. I saw that in 99. Oh, no. Laid Law was first. Yeah, they did the first chunk of those greatest hit shows. Then we did the next piece of it. Okay. And then, I, wasn't sure. I was just trying to think who I saw open up for him, and I was like, I think that was Laid Law. And where the hell they are now, I have no idea. No idea. And then Tommy quit the band right after the last show we did in, in Vancouver. That's right. He quit, and then I went to go, because a guitar player from the band I worked with was a guitar player in Methods of Mayhem. Oh, okay. Get Naked. Tommy's project, yeah. yeah. Yep. So then I went to go and, and help them on that. We did uh, OzFest. It was Pantera and Black Sabbath and, wow. and, and that band. So all of this stuff, do this, do the Nickelback thing. And then Lars, back to Metallica, had a record company. Yes. And, and the first band that he signed was this band from Vancouver. It was called DDT, actually. And uh, I don't remember that part. So he signed these guys, and of course, you know, I'm a big Metallica guy, and at that point, and still, Metallica, you know, rules that space. So I went and worked with them, and then we toured with uh, Seven Dust, Slipknot, Machine Head, um, Kid Rock, right when Cowboy was just hitting. Sure. Devil, Devil Without a Cause, and then Megadeth on the Risk record, which is, you know... <laughs> One of the interesting records that they had done. You can go ahead. You can say it. Um, he did. It's interesting. <laughs> no, there's some. There's a couple good songs on there's that. Some record. good riffs in there. 
<laughs> little bits here and there. Um, yeah, so then Lars had this record company, and he'd signed, he signed another band, a metal band called Systematic. After that's, that, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, it was like a metal band. Dude from um, Slayer played drums. Um, Paul Bostaff played drums. Oh, yeah. in the band. And then, so that was kind of when that whole thing um, started. And then, then that record company did what it did. And then I started touring. I, you know, like I said, the Nickelback thing. And then I did uh, Theory of a Dead Man, which was a band that Chad signed um, from Nickelback. And they're from Canada as well. Yep, Three Days Grace. They gave me their tape. <laughs> their tape had three number one songs. Hate, um, Just Like You and Home were on this tape that they played for me at this club, and they were getting 100 bucks to open. They're like, yeah, we got a record coming out. Actually, let me rewind it for a second. <laughs> so we're in Knoxville, Tennessee, first day after doing this tour with Kid Rock, playing arenas. Now we're playing at this gig for like 12 people. Totally like somebody let the air out of my balloon because this sucks. Sure. So it's the band I was working with, a local band, and then another band, Three Doors Down. So they played to like maybe six people, and I heard Kryptonite. I was like, wow, it's pretty catchy, you know, Superman, whatever. Um, so after the gig, they come back, and the first bus they were ever on was our bus. It's this 1996 Eagle kind of thing. And they're like, here's our, here's our CD. We have a record coming out next year. And you know, you meet bands, you guys know, you meet opening bands, you're like, you know, best of luck. And, yeah. you know, nothing productive is probably ever going to happen. Right. You put the demo in the drawer and you never see it again. Right. But then next year, <laughs> Three Doors Down sells 7 million records. Yeah, they become the biggest rock band for the next... Of that year. Oh, well, for a couple of years after that. Right. I mean, they huge. were huge. Mixed by Toby Wright, if you can believe that. So there's all these little things, like I'm sitting there listening to Justice Tape. You know, Toby's on that record. Three Doors Down. He was the guy that, you know, cleaned up that record and mixed all those songs. And then I toured for another seven years. I did Three Days Grace for three years. Then we went over to Europe with Hoobastank. And uh, then when Three Days took a break... Uh, I went and worked with Huba when The Reason took off. And Doug's brother from Huba is a guy named Tom Robb, which you may or may not know that name. Security guard. Yeah, so that's Doug's brother. I never wow. knew that. Wow. I didn't know that either. As soon as you said that, I'm like, wait a minute. The security guy? <laughs> so, so before I... I'm probably going to be all over the place with these stories, but I don't want to forget pieces. So fast forward to 2019 here. We were at the Metallica after party. And we're sitting there talking to Kirk. And Kirk's like, hey, tell Tom I'm sorry for keeping him up for 16 years. <laughs> <laughs> Legitimately. <laughs> Anyways, back to all this stuff. So I toured for a long, long time. Then uh, moved to Nashville, managed bands. And then that's where I'd met Toby. Because uh, he, I was negotiating producer deals. And I've done work with Kevin Churko. You might know him from Five Finger Death Punch and Disturbed yep. and all those guys. Yes. And then Toby was like, oh, by the way, I have this, you know, the Tomes CDs, and it would be, you know, if we could do something together, it would be really interesting to figure out. And I'm one of those guys that gets these projects and basically won't stop until I can kind of solve it. So it's been a long 10 years of solving it. <laughs> long decade of problem solving, but again, you got your shit together. Well, yeah, well, you have to. So 
all of that stuff. And then there's been, I don't know, probably 40, 50 Metallica gigs in between the, the first time I saw them in 92 up until 19 when they were in town. They were in Nashville for two weeks. Because what they do is they stay in the city for two weeks and then they just basing out of there. Yeah, they fly, they fly out and come back. And when you got a forty million dollar Gulfstream Five, you can you can do those kind of things. Yeah, I was trying to get on it. <laughs> I was like, "Hey, um, you guys want to like you know me and Toby will jump on and we can just cruise over to Raleigh and just come back after the gig." <laughs> just know? as easy as that. Yeah, yeah, that would, that would be an even crazier part of the whole thing, but. Yeah, I was thinking about the Metallica gigs I've been to, and I've been to, like, like they played a record store basement here. I remember like that. 75 people, Grimies. That was right before, like, Bonnaroo, I think. The night before Bonnaroo, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was pretty insane. Um, and you were at that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Went, went to that. Went what, to the, what did that uh, place hold, Jason? Like, 100 people? a hundred people jam-packed wow it was just like the stage is like three inches tall and like james was like right here and just like they played eight songs i think it's pretty pretty crazy but they do stuff like that all the time like i i went to a gig with them at the house of blues in in la before it got obviously knocked down it was they played the uh because i went i worked with kid rock for a while so they played uh la coliseum for like 85,000 with corn and system and power man like summer sanitarium shit sanitarium yeah yeah i remember that it was right when james came back after that uh sea accident or whatever yep and then they did this like big band in a small remember those beer companies used to do those promotions you didn't know who the band was yes so yes metallica's playing at the the house of blues in hollywood you know what i mean it was killer they're the only band that can play to 100,000 people one night and then go do a surprise show to 75 people and get away with it. You know what I mean? Not, like it's nothing. Not, yeah, you know, not that, I mean, they, they're Metallica. They can do whatever they want, but it's, you know, you don't see a lot of bands on that level, that famous, that big, just go and mingle with, with the people like they're, you know. 20 years old again the other part that's amazing is the two secret shows they just pulled off in san fran and chicago exactly yeah like that's i mean to keep that quiet on that camp that's that's not Jason only probably knows quiet, better than us that's a lot of work yeah yeah exactly not only to keep it quiet but just i mean most bands don't go hey we're gonna play u.s bank one night and then we're gonna play first half the next night you know Basically. what i mean but metallica can and that's what i love about them well, it keeps the whole thing legitimate, right? Yeah. Like, I saw him do a gig in Toronto. The cover band, uh, was it Garage Inc.? They, they had a Metallica band open up. James was like, if you want to hear a Metallica song, come early because we're not playing any. And Hammett was sitting on a chair. His appendix blew up like a day or two before that or something. So he's all yellow up there playing guitar and <laughs> looking like, all like, jaundice and shit. <laughs> Kirk, you're not supposed to. Kirk always has the best looking, you know skin tan etc you can't look yellow dude come on yeah until rob joined the band that's true <laughs> Lars, you gotta work on that tan buddy yeah you're looking a little pasty these days bud <laughs> <laughs> too much snow too much skiing and snowboarding put the top down on that new mercedes and get some sun oh you guys saw that car the other day yeah we did yeah <laughs> i figured they probably gave it to him yeah i think everybody got new cars just for that omaze uh campaign yeah, like must here, have been rough. 
here, we're going to give you $100,000 plus cars. Just post them on your social. Do this thing. Here you go. Jason, before we get any further, best Kid Rock story, best Motley Crue story, and go. <laughs> um, I got to remember what year it is right now so I don't get canceled. <laughs> did, did Motley still get down crazy in 99? I, mean, I, I, know, I, I know they I, weren't. Generation swine, baby. <laughs> oh. I, I have a generation swine leather jacket. Oh, I'll dude, t- I want to see a picture of that. <laughs> Shane wants to buy it. I'll, I'll tell you guys a story about Afraid, that. Afraid, glitter, and Brandon, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah, you guys were talking about that Generation Swine. Oh, thing. yes, we Shane's were. always talking about Generation. He loves that album. I like that record. I, <laughs> He's the only person. I saw that tour, and they had a DJ open up for him in the middle of the arena. Good God. Okay, so I got a Motley Crue story. Go. Um. So... Right near, I guess, towards the end of it, um, we were playing in Las Vegas. So we get to Vegas. At this point, the band that I worked with was, you know how bands get, like, egos and so on? No, never. Well, these guys somehow, and God bless them, but at that point, they kind of figured they were a little bit further up the food chain than they actually were. So when, when I got to Vegas, I was like, I don't want to see you guys until it's showtime kind of thing. So we split, right? Me and the other guy that worked with the band. Well, the next day I'm in the elevator. I put on, you know, bass strings, guitar strings, kind of get a jump on things so I could, you know, hang out or whatever. I'm in the elevator and uh, remember that band Orgy? Oh, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Jay, the singer, is in the elevator. He's like, hey, man, um, is your guitar player gone to bed yet? And I was like, who are you? (laughs) Right? Like... How do you even know, like, you know, because I'm a guy going through the casino with two guitars, so obviously I have something to do with the show. And I was like, well, I don't know. Why? What happened? And he's like, oh, he ran into Dennis Rodman last night. Oh, boy. And, they were, and this was when Tommy and Carmen Electra were seeing each other. That's right. <laughs> During the time that Dennis Rodman was married to Carmen Electra, right? For about a week. Right. So then Dennis took a sabbatical from playing basketball to come to Vegas to kill Tommy Lee. (laughs) (laughs) So these guys are like, these guys are like ripping up and down Las Vegas Boulevard in a convertible Rolls Royce doing stuff that, you know, is probably um, prevalent in keeping you up for a couple days. Oh boy. Right. So I was like, Oh God, the show's going to be a catastrophe. Well, we get to sound check our drummer, drank all night, whatever. The singer was off doing something else. We can get into that story another day. The bass player was a disaster, and the guitar player hadn't slept. And because there was no opening band, there was this kickstart your career thing the Guitar Center was doing. There was no opener, so we got longer time, 45 minutes, right? We had oh, used to have 30 God. minutes. That didn't, not a good day. No. So these guys were good for about, I don't know, 90 seconds, and it just went all the shit <laughs> right from there, right? Sound man's flashing the light. Get him off the stage. And I'm like, should have well, opened up with bread fan. Should have opened for bread yeah, fan. Yeah, well, then they would have maybe missed half the song like I did. Yeah, Jeff. Oh, the, uh, yeah, I heard about that Hashtag the other day. Fort Wayne, Indiana. <laughs> so they're up there limping through this. It's just dog shit, right? Mick Mars is standing by me, and he's like, looks like Vegas got the best of the boys. <laughs> right? I, I really- can totally hear Mick saying that just... Cool, calm, and collective. 
like not even pissed off just like yeah we know what vegas does to people well yeah like the motley crew obviously got banned from vegas i think that was probably the first time they could have went back there because they caused riot at some point yeah anyway so the guitar player bass player's you know, saying that it's out of tune. He's trying to rip the bass strings off. Guitar player's throwing a fit, kicks his cabinet, jumps up, hits himself in the face, breaks his nose. He's bleeding all over the place. I'm just trying to get this to end. They're doing Do You Love Me by Kiss. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, so get this off stage. Start walking off the back there at the joint, the old joint in Vegas, the little one. There wasn't much room. And, and Tommy and Nikki are standing there just clapping. <laughs> blood all over the place and shit and it's a fucking disaster they're applauding going this is amazing they loved watching this band because (laughs) the stuff that they did in the 80s was what was happening in front of them so yeah so that's a motley Crue story um (laughs) kid rock story um okay we were in new york doing two shows at the hammerstein ballroom and we went out to this place called scores um you know, of Howard Stern fame. And they had a $20,000 bar tab that they gave to me. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I just okay. about, I just about died. I was like, it was like Kid Rock was there. Jenny McCarthy slash the dude from Pokemon, Lars Kim. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, how do you give me the bill? So <laughs> give it to, give it to Bob. I go, you have, here you go, Bobby. Metallica, <laughs> Pokemon. Like why me? <laughs> So at the t- now you're now you're working for Kid Rock at this point. Uh, that was with the band that Lars signed. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and then the Kid Rock thing came after that. But uh, yeah, so they brought this bill and they're like, "Hey, you guys doing Stern tomorrow?" I said, "Well, he is." <laughs> and they said, "Just just tell us that you you know that you were here and had a great time last night, and the tabs on us." I said, "Can I leave?" Wow. <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah." I ran out of that bar as soon as I could because I was like, "I don't want to get hung on this." Here you go, Bobby. But. <laughs> But the story is that the next day at about three o'clock in the afternoon for sound check, um, he was uh, unable to stand up in his hotel room because they'd, they'd been out partying pretty much all night or whatever, right? So the tour manager for Kid Rock was like, when Lars gets here, you tell me. I was like, no problem. I can't wait to see this. Because it was, it was two nights at Hammerstein, right? It was like 4,000 people a night. So Lars pulls in and... He's all like chipper and ready to go. And I was like, hey, want to come with me for a second? I got somebody wants to talk to you. And this was when Kid Rock was going to open up for Metallica. So obviously nothing was going to happen. And as soon as he walked in the, into the production office, it was like, hey, you need anything? Everything good? <laughs> you know, the guy was 100 feet tall. And then all of a sudden it was like, you know, cause you got to go, go and open up for the biggest band in the world right. then and now. So, and I saw that tour, like the early 2000s. It was awesome. Yeah, 2000. And yeah. that was System of a Down was first. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, even, like, I'm even talking before that, Jason. This is the winter, the short M2K tour. Oh, um, in Detroit? Um, I oh, think those were the this. makeup shows. No, this was, it was just Seven Dust, Kid Rock, and Metallica going into like Y2K. Ted Nugent. That was, that was in Detroit, yes, the, the New Year's night. And then they played just a little, they played like, Two shows in Cleveland, Milwaukee, three in Chicago, and then three in Minneapolis. It was a very short, like, M2K tour. It was amazing. They were on back then. Yep. It was and then with, legit. With, with Jason in the band, it was just, it was different. That was the winter before that summer, the first summer sanitarium, the summer of 2000. 
Oh, right, yeah. This is literally December 99 going into January of 2000. It was the, those couple weeks where I followed them, was, it, they were on all cylinders. It was amazing. I tell you, that gig in, in, uh, in L.A. at the Coliseum, they were done their set, and then I think it was like $5,000 a minute or something like that. Oh, when they go over? To play over. And Lars was just like, let's just do it. They played like six more songs. It cost like a couple hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> but Must be rough. He said, he goes, this is one of the top five. Up to that point, he said that was one of the top five Metallica gigs ever. Sure, sure. Because they were just back and, you know, Jason was in the band. There was like 85,000 people in L.A., which, you know, the thing with, with them in, in L.A. and everything else. Just crushing it. It was, I think there's like 2,500 people on the guest list. Like you walk back there and there's Val Kilmer and Matt Sorum and <laughs> Tom Cruise and all these people. And like, you're like, what's happening right now? You know what I mean? Jeff, those three shows I saw in Minneapolis, January of 2000. Guess what three songs they opened up with back in those days? Uh, probably Bread Fans. That's one of them. The other two, picture opening in a show with Die Darling and Last Caress. I would definitely open a show with Darling. That'd be interesting. That was the kind of set list they were pulling for that little mini tour, and it was awesome. They played two by four like the night before in Chicago. See, I wish they'd do more shows. Phantom Lord, Trapped Under Ice, that all happened within that one week right around Y2K. You didn't see Trap, though. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Someday, buddy. Someday. Yeah, in a a few weeks here. Eight weeks to go. It'll happen. Eight weeks to go. The gigs in San Francisco? We'll be there, Jason, the 40th. We were over in in Japan for that uh, Master Puppets entirety record thing. And actually, here's another one for you, Velvet Revolver story. We're in uh, San Francisco, and I don't know, probably like 6 o'clock at night. I didn't even, when you're on tour, you don't really pay attention to where you are that much. <laughs> Tell me about it. I, have, I, I never know where, where we are, and Shane will just randomly ask me, like, do you know where we are? I'll be like, nope. <laughs> Somewhere in the mountain time zone. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So we were in uh, the Bill Graham um, venue, Civic Center, I think it is. And I'm in the dressing room, and it's like, and I'm like, who is it? And it's like, James. Well, I don't think it's James Hetfield. I open the door, and there's Hetfield standing right in the doorway. And I'm like, and that's the first time I'd met him. I was like, this is ridiculous. And he's so, like, great guy. And he's like, hey, uh, you know, Tom works with our band, and he said that we could come back and say hi beforehand if that's cool. <laughs> like, go crazy. You're like, no, you can't, sir. You must leave. Yeah. Yeah, no, no sorry. You don't have a laminate. Get out of here, Who bud. let you back here, sir? <laughs> yeah, how'd you get in here? <laughs> What's your band? Um, yeah, who, who, who do you play in? So then an, another good friend of mine, Tim Duffy, um, was the tour accountant for Metallica all the way through the from Justice, Black Record, up until about 1995, and he was the he was Lars's partner in that, and then he was the tour manager for Velvet Revolver. So then, so that was six o'clock when James showed up, and then about I don't know seven thirty, he grabs me. He's like, "Hey, come with me for a second. I go over there, and then it's me, Tim, James, his wife, and his neighbor and his wife, and he's like, "Hey, is it cool if he watches from the side of the stage?" I'm like, "Of course it is. Of course it's cool for him to watch from the side of the stage. Like, what do you need?" So I went over to uh, Slash's tech that I know really well, and uh, 
I said, hey, is it cool if James and his wife and everybody like hangs out in Slash's area here or whatever for our set? And he's like, of course. So James is up there, walks up on the stage, and he's over by me, and he's like, where do I go? I said, you can lay in the middle of the stage if you want. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody Dude, knows you here. So you anyone, do you thing. can do whatever you want. So he goes, tell me what song is your last song so I can get out of the way so you can change over the bands and everything else. So I think it was like Crawling in the Dark or whatever. And I told him, okay, we're done. And he walked over and said thanks. And he goes, you ever want to come and see us? Just hit up Tom and, and the door is open. You know what I mean? Very cool. So then fast forward to when we're in Japan, we did the gig in Tokyo. It was like 80, 90,000 and we played Osaka. He finds out that we're on these, on these shows and he invites us up on stage. So we're literally right behind the monitor guy. Wow watching Metallica play. So I, I had these little videos that I recorded on my digital camera at that point. And then <clears throat> Kirk and Doug <laughs> from Huba, Kirk's running back in between songs and we're making party plans, right? He's like, you guys want to go for dinner or do this or whatever? And we're like, well, I don't know if we really want to eat. He's like, hey, wait a second. Goes out, plays Master Puppets, comes back. He's like, you know what? Skip eating. We'll just go to this bar and have drinks and all the rest of it. <laughs> Wow. So he's like playing these, playing this this show for like eighty thousand people, and we're making plans by Guitar World in between songs. And we went to this place uh, called Rock Rock in Osaka till like six o'clock in the morning. It's like probably the size of a hotel room, and you have Avenged Sevenfold, Stone Sour, Deftones, Metallica, all these guys minus James. Um, How surreal was that day for you, Jason? Oh, it was it was completely crazy. So. Back to my, you know, anniversary thing on August 12th here, that was right around the time that we were, 15 years ago, we were in Japan, and also is the 30th anniversary of the Black Record, I texted Lars these videos from the side of the stage. It was like Damage and uh, One. And then it's, I was in Texas, in Dallas, and 3 o'clock in the morning, my son goes, who's Lars Ulrich? I'm like, what? I'm sleeping. <laughs> on your phone. On my phone, I go, what, what? And he's like, this guy just sent you a text message. And I was like, <laughs> and I go and I look, and he sent me a message about sending him those videos or whatever from Japan. But it was just, that's the full circle moment right there. Oh, my God, of, yeah. Of, of your teenage son giving you your phone when this guy that you heard this tape of <laughs> 30 years ago or whatever messages you about a show from 15 years ago in the middle of the night. You know, one of those kind of really crazy things that just seems to only happen to me i guess lars it's 3 30 how dare you text me that's when he that's when he <laughs> lars <messaged>. all rich <laughs> I, I, I can tell you he's mr 257 in the morning <laughs> dude's always up that's lunchtime for him yeah when we went to that we went to that after party here because what those guys do after the shows is they rent out a restaurant and then they bring their close friends to this thing afterwards it's like food and booze and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm and um, the corn dudes were there and a bunch of other guys or whatever. But we were there till like 5.30 in the morning, like just sitting there talking about all, all kinds of stuff. And, you know, Robert was there. James was gone to that. Uh, he was in that movie, on the Netflix movie for Ted Bundy. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, he uh, was Zac Efron. Zac Efron, yeah. So he had to go. He did the show here and then cruised over to Colorado, I think, somewhere wherever that film, Sundance. Sundance Film, Film Festival, Festival or Utah. Yeah, so he didn't make that party, which was, you know, that 
that that would have been super cool if he would have been at that thing. But and then they were here for that two week span. So and then uh, Toby and I went and sat and had tea with him at a, at his hotel and talked about some stuff. So it was, it was pretty just crazy to be a fan of that band, sure. still be a fan of that band, and then get the th- you know get the text message and like sitting there and talking about stuff you know 30 almost 30 years later kind of thing that that jeff is what i call not a full circle but a complete full circle and then some and then some yeah with a cherry on top <laughs> so jason i mean 30 35 years later what what do you text in lars about these days uh obviously you know him well you're in communication what what's going on between that world and you now He's texting him saying, don't listen to these Apfa guys. Yeah. <laughs> and podcast for all rookies. Don't, li- don't listen to these guys. You have your own podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, they just stole our idea. We know that. Well, you guys you guys do a great job. I can tell you that. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Appreciate no, it. No, the, the conversations are kind of, you know, we're rooted in us trying to do like stream wave files and this and you know, Toby's background and the relationship those guys have <clears throat> from the Justice time. And he did, I think, five. He did Bread Fans, Don't Go Crazy, um, maybe a couple other cover songs. Okay. I can't, I can't remember or whatever. But those, Toby and him have a really good relationship. And awesome. Toby's first Grammy was for, was it performance? Was one, did one win first? And then the Justice was the Jethro Tull thing or whatever, right? <laughs> I was just going to say, well, he didn't get the award for Jethro Tull. And yeah, not for album of the year, and then uh, Stone Cold Crazy was the other um, the other Grammy because he got a certificate for the well, I think it was metal performance. So cool. And then those guys brought him up to uh, when they got inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, to the Cleveland thing. Yeah, like Metallica is literally the best band that I've ever seen. Take care of the people that have helped them in any way, shape, or form along the way kind of thing. I believe they had the whole House of Blues in Cleveland rented out for that whole party. Yeah, the after, they had a party, I think the day before. Yeah, but everyone that was involved in their, their career was invited there. They flew them in, they paid for everything. It just yep. sounded just just so cool. Yeah, the, they're that band that appreciates. You, you guys know of, of touring for a long time that sometimes bands aren't that gracious with their stuff and, and forget a lot of the time. Absolutely. And and with a guy like Lars, he'll tell you where he was, you know, June 7th, 1987. <laughs> this guy's got this memory of just all this stuff. But if he wasn't the guy that's in that band, he would have been the greatest rock and roll manager to ever live kind of thing. With Lars's right. memory, Jason, I swear he could he could manage a world tour without notes, without a phone, or without the old school tour books. Yeah. Yeah, he's just he's it's just phenomenal. that guy. Yeah, it's phenomenal. And remembers all these crazy details of Seek and Destroy hasn't been played here for 150 miles since whatever day or whatever, you know, all these different statistics and everything else. But at the same time, you know, with the thing they're doing on the, on the festivals right now, the book ended Fridays and Sundays for a band to be able to play 33 different songs and hold 50, 60,000 people. That's the testament of the strength of that band. Very true. And at their age. Well, right. I don't know another band that could do that, that that would deviate that much and play two unique sets. Not Motley Crue. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I had to say it. And I don't know if Motley Crue will play again because it's still another year from now. I agree. 
And if they do, how is it really going to sound? I mean, I'm just going to address it. I mean, we've all seen the videos of Vince. I mean, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but I mean, it's not like he's exactly performing at peak performance right now. I agree. Well, his peak performance was Dr. Feelgood, right? Right, and now he's still going to play, excuse me, he's still going to go out and do a world tour and play in front of, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 people. I mean, that's, it's crazy to think that that many people still want to go see him, you know, sing Kickstart My Heart with interesting lyrics. This is the biggest tour the Motley Crew will ever do. They've, they've never played a stadium ever. And, and this is the biggest tour after they broke up and came back and they haven't played. And will they play? Right? So it's just, it, it's very, you know, Tommy's a great guy. A lot Nikki's of question marks. You know, Mick, he, I don't know how he plays like that. Like, the dude's amazing. The rest of them, I mean, they're still playing pretty dang well. Yeah. Yeah. Like him. Like him and like Slash. Slash is the best guitar player now that he's ever been. You know, because he's, he's Tommy's agree. a musician. Yep. Slash carries his guitar around, just like Kirk carries that, that one greenie Greeny guitar around. Constantly. Like, everywhere. Like, the dude sleeps with it. <laughs> it's just like, Almost. takes it every, everywhere he goes. And, and Slash is like that, too. He's, like I said, he's the best he's ever been. And he'll play for three and a half hours up there. He's the only guy that doesn't leave the stage in an entire Guns show, right? It, uh, something to be said about him. My dad has always, I felt like, said it the best when it comes to Slash. He said he is the true epitome of a rock and roll guitar player. And I've always thought that it always kind of resonated with me because Slash is that. He's like that icon for rock and roll. Well, he's like B.B. King. He'll be that guy. Right. 84 years old, jamming with some band in some, you know, bar in Sherman Oaks or something. And he'll (laughs) still just be getting down, having a great time. Yeah, well, hell, we had one... Well, this is obviously all over the place with bands, but um, we were in Cleveland and Gilby was playing this club. So we went to the, uh, it was 1987 for one night with us. So we went to the baseball game, everybody drank a bunch. And then we went to Gilby's gig in some bar where there's like a hundred people and Slash and Duff and Matt and, and Gilby were all like, these people got the show of a lifetime here. They bought $20 Gilby Clark tickets and you have basically Guns N' Roses playing on stage. <laughs> no kidding. Almost a you know? full reunion here in a club. Yeah. To- like totally unannounced, just walked in and, you know, all the shenanigans that went along, went along with that, like our guitar tech with, with, uh, with Huba, you know, the next day he woke up, his phone was smashed, his watch was missing, he woke up <laughs> in a different hotel, all the rest of it, and he's like, I had a dream that I was in a cab with Duff and Slash last night. It's like, you were in a cab with Duff and Slash last night. That was a great dream, not a bad dream. Yeah, yeah. But those guys are so nice, too. Duff's amazing guy. Slash is super cool. He's, you know, very quiet kind of thing. He just plays guitar. That's his, that's his thing. And Jeff, Matt Storm spends a lot of his summers in uh, northern Minnesota at a cabin. Minnesota's all right in the summertime. but Only not in the summer. Other. Yeah, and just for those three months. Every other month, it's not the greatest. June, July, August, if it doesn't fall in those months, you better escape. It's going to be like 31 tomorrow night. I'm that, not looking forward to this. That's your own fault. That's why we're going to San Francisco in December. San Francisco. I was going to say San Francisco is not even going to be that much warmer. San oh, Fran's not that warm. For you, Minnesotan, it's going to feel balmy. It's it's time for well, December Well, in December, yeah, it might be. 
a balmy 40 degrees and raining in San Fran. Oh, <laughs> Jeff will take that any day. Compared to the negative 10 or 15 it will be in here in December. Well, it's more January, but... Seven weeks to go, bud. You got some in voting for all for us tonight? I do, yeah. I was actually going to say... Uh, I was going to ask Jason, are you going to the 40th show? I haven't decided yet because I don't know what the whole Corona thing is. You know, and it's in San Francisco, so everybody's somebody that's going to be going to that gig. True. So I'm not exactly sure, but I might go see them in Atlanta here in a couple weeks. Let me know. I'll be there. In, we're with who's a cage the elephant? Yeah, I'll and, be at uh, the I'll be at the Atlanta and Fort Lauderdale shows coming up here. Think cage the elephant will play the Unforgiven? <laughs> hey, they could. On the off chance that you do happen to go to the 40th anniversary, I would love to come and meet you guys. That as well, but we we'll do have our happen. little we do have our little countdown, and of course, we want to hear nothing but rare songs. And we are now moving out of our little load section into reload now. So for the 40th anniversary, if you had to pick between one of these two songs, what would you rather hear live, Prince Charming or Fixer? I'll go with Fixer for you. We're finally <laughs> at the Fixer at the Fixer chapter. I knew Fixer is going to win versus anything off of Reload, and the only thing that I could think of was to put it up against Prince Charming because it showed up so many times. And Dream No More set list. Prince Charming kept, was popular, and I was shocked. Yeah, it kept popping up, so I was like, well, maybe people might actually want to hear this song over Fixer, but I feel like Fixer is the number one song that people want to hear in general that they yes. haven't played. So what do you guys think is going to happen at those gigs? Like, Are they going to do like really... You know, off the beaten path songs bring people back that they had from before, like they did at the Fillmore. Or what do you think? Knowing Metallic, it's going to be something that none of us guessed. The thirtieth totally, you know, blew me away, and that was four nights. I don't know how much you can pack into two nights. Well, I've and heard, it's, and it's an arena, so that's where it's you know, because you bring everybody up on stage at the Fillmore, it's a little different. Intimate, everyone can kind of see what's going on. I mean, you have. Dave Mustaine walk out in an arena. I mean, not saying that it's not going to have the same oomph to it, but I don't know. Like that's where I feel like things might get a little. I don't think Mustaine will be there, and I hate to say this. I don't know if Jason will be there. I don't see that happening because they've already done it. Right, exactly. Now this is their fortieth. It's focused on them. I just hope there's not, and I'm not saying this any disrespect. I hope there's no blacklist collaborations those two nights what you're saying you don't want them to play no. a song and then have jay balvin come out and rap wherever <laughs> i may roam in in, in all it? respect i don't want to see chris stapleton <laughs> i don't want to see darius i don't want to see miley i don't want to see any of that been there done that i'm black albumed out it needs to be something now very that, unique now that you say that with miley because no. I mean, she obviously lives in california uh i can no, see she, it. she lives 10 oh, minutes from me. She's oh, she Jason's lives in Nashville? neighbor. Everyone lives in Nashville. That's true. Everybody lives in Nashville. Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> Jeff, you and I are going to move to Nashville. Maybe her and Elton John will show up and play. No. Nothing else matters. I, I don't it, want it that. Has to be a, it has to be just a Metallica thing. Yeah, I don't I don't want. Now I'm, now I'm being. Uh, now you're that guy. No, I'm being greedy. I'm being picky. I'm being that diehard Metallica fan that thinks he owns the world. I don't want those artists showing up there. Me personally. I hope they all show up. I Shut hope they up. play all 53 versions. 53. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know who picked that number. Why 53? Mark Ryder, Q Prime. 
hey, why is 53 the magic number? Why can't you cap it at 50? 50 seems like a, a logical number. 53 seems it's an uneasy feeling. Well, Jason, what do you want to happen at the Chase Center in seven and a half weeks? He wants to I understand, want... man. No. <laughs> By ghost. No. I want Jason Newstead to play with them just by himself. Thank you. That's what I want. That's what I wanted for the 30th. I, in all respect to Rob, but there was just too much bass going on that night. Rob, take the weekend off. Jason, all two nights. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, maybe, maybe not that part, but um, but just just that. You know what I mean? Like You don't need two bass players. You don't need three guitar players. Correct. Right, so yeah, Kirk could have stood off stage. Rob could have stood off stage and just let them mm-hmm. have their moment. Dave could have played "Seek and Destroy." Dave can play "Phantom Lord," the songs that he wrote. Right, you know what I mean? And then it would have given you that feeling of what those songs were when they started. You know, Hammett plays the stuff like he plays it, and Dave plays the stuff like he plays it. But as a guitar player, you know that it's radically different. Right. When you put it on. So if, if that was the guy and there may never be another chance to do this, why wouldn't you do it? Well right? said. So, and, and Newstead's been super cool lately with all the stuff. He's been doing tons of press with all the black record stuff. And he was the guy that was in that band for what, 15 years. So let him play the songs. If you recorded that song, you should be the guy playing that song, in my opinion. I agree with that 100%. And Bob Rock shouldn't play bass. <laughs> oh, come on. Dirty Window, dude. Frantic. That, that was my only caveat for the San Anger record. Dirty, wing, dirty Window and Frantic at the Fillmore, dude. Dirty Winger. <laughs> uh, before we go any farther, Jeff, you're going with Fixer? Oh, of course I'm going with Fixer. We didn't wrap this up. Jason's going with Fixer. I'm going with Fixer. Everybody else is going to go. This will be like a 99 to 1. I'm going to say 95 to 5 split. By the way, people last week did the right thing because the house that Jack built blew away 2 by 4. I'm very impressed. At for listeners, you get a golf clap. You did the right thing. Uh, voting opens Thursday morning, closing late Thursday night with results on Friday. The triple X fixer effect, I'm going to say 95 to 5%. <laughs> Jason, you are so well-connected in the music world and seen Metallica so many times in so many cool situations. How do you feel about jumping in the fire for a little bit of trivia? Uh, Go for it. And it's funny because everything we've talked about in the last one hour and nine minutes, I think we've covered in this trivia tonight. Okay. Jeff, you want to start it off? All righty. How many singles came from the Black Album? (laughs) Four. Final answer. He's deep in thought, thinking of that night at Scores. <laughs> yeah, Enter Sandman, Sad But True, Wherever I May Roam, Nothing Else Matters. Yeah, four. So close. Throw so another close. one in there. The fifth single, Unforgiven. Oh, shit. Well, there's so many Unforgivens, I've just looked over that one. I know, it's just the trilogy. That's true. It's too much. Too much. I can't believe I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a, a Metallica demerit on that. One. <laughs> In his mind, he was thinking of Generation Swine tracks, Jeff. Yeah, I was like glitter. No, that was on the live version of that record. Keep your eye on the money, Live Wire. I love Struggle Within though on that album. Like, 
Oh, absolutely. One of my favorites. Not many people agree with us, Jason, but we know we know what a solid track 12 is. Yeah, that's, that's why it's the last song. Love On that it. record, it's unbeatable. Like, whatever they did and captured the tempo and this and the arrangement and everything, it's fantastic. When they played it in Louisville, I didn't think it was played that well, but still fun to hear live. Some of those songs, if you don't get the pocket right. Oh, that's that song wasn't meant for a live setting at all. They, they forced their way through it and just get it over with. Same with Holier Than Thou. That hasn't sounded proper either. It just it doesn't have that. What's your next question? Question two. <laughs> People are like, this could go on for 10 hours, and somehow we have to cap this. Yeah, yeah. Jason's coming back for part two, part three, and part four in the next three weeks, people. Jason is the rest of season six. Yeah. <laughs> Live from Nashville. Live from Nashville. Metallica things you didn't know. Question two. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he'll get this. Who produced Garage Inc.? A whole bunch of people produced Garage Inc. Who's listed on the back of the CD? Who's the main cat? Bob. There you go. Yeah, that Canadian guy. Did Toby have anything to do with that? Yeah, five songs on there, I think. Oh, we got to meet this Toby guy, Jeff. It was like Helpless, I think maybe he did. Um, I can't remember which other ones he did. But there's, there, I think he did five on that made it onto Garage Inc. We're, we're just talking about main producer. That's that, that was a good answer. Bob Rock, everyone's favorite guy from the produced Loverboy. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's right. Question three, Jeff, I think he's going to get question three. I hope he gets question three. Or is he going to be really embarrassing? Uh, yeah, so question three. When Lemmy played with Metallica on the World Magnetic Tour, which city did that take place in? I was there. That makes two of us. <laughs> it was Nashville. It was on the Death Magnetic thing. Matt was there, too. Storm. I remember that because I saw him in the tuning room footage with that when they were warming up. Yeah, because Matt was playing drums with Motorhead. Now, impress us, Jason, and say, oh, that night I hung out with Lars, Sorum, Lemmy. Not a big deal. Well, I didn't hang out with those guys that night. I saw Kirk. <laughs> but uh, Not that night. Did you hear that, Jeff? Yeah, not that night. I almost had to bass tech for Lemmy one day in, in Vancouver. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Trick question. Lemmy is God. <laughs> Still, yes. Who'd win in a wrestling match, Lemmy or God? Lemmy. Ah! God. Wrong, dickhead. Trick question. Lemmy is God. Yeah! Another time we'll talk about the Lemmy thing. It was so weird. Like, his guy didn't get across the border, and they're like, hey, you base tech, right? And I'm like, yeah. Like, okay, you're going to have to work with Motorhead. I was like, what? Oh, okay. So Lemmy okay, comes out, there. the rock and roll pirate that he is, and pours this drink and says, taste this. And he's like, you know what you're doing? I was like, yeah. He goes, taste this. He goes, you keep them coming all night long, the gig will do itself. <laughs> I like that. So then I'm all nervous for this show. And then, like, say it starts at 8.30, 8.15, his guy comes in the back door. He's got, like, a branch in his shirt and shit. He ran across the border, went through some trees, <laughs> got a $300 cab ride. And then <laughs> I didn't actually do the show. But <laughs> his, guy, his guy came in, like, and those guys, everybody that worked with Motorhead were, like, pirates. <laughs> Run for the border, baby, literally. Yeah, so he literally ran across the thing, and he did the gig, and I watched from the side. But they turned all the, the subs off and just cranked all the high end because he couldn't hear shit, right? So it was just, like, obscenely loud. 
but it's Motorhead. So it's just like, he's, you know, he, you don't have to say anything else. He's Lemmy. Like when he walked out on stage at the gig in Nashville, like everybody instantly knows who this guy is. That was an amazing night. I, I was so shocked. I just happened to be there on a, on a night off from work and it's like, wow, this is, this is history right here. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was a cool time. It's funny how these Jump in the Fire questions have all been talked about tonight as question number four, Jason. Name a song Dave Mustaine played with Metallica at the Fillmore for the 30th anniversary. Phantom Lord? I will take oh, that as an acceptable answer. Keep in mind that these questions were written this morning on a flight, and how we have talked about all this is in itself come full circle. There you are. Jeff, did you think we'd have this kind of conversation tonight with a, a gentleman we didn't know much about from Nashville? No, I definitely I had no idea. I sent you guys over that link of that jacket. The Black Album Tour coat. Yeah. That's the first yeah. time I heard from you, and I'm like, oh, there's a fan, because Jeff said, we want to know the price, people, of this Wherever I May Roam tour coat. That's right. Jason sends an email. I keep it in the archives, and it's like, hey, I'm in Fort Worth tonight. Jeff's getting off early from work. Let's... Let's do some recording. Let's let's dig into the archives, and here we are. And five hundred dollars is the magic, uh, the magic price for that package. Which you know, it's actually a pretty good deal. I would say so. Well, when you know Lars and Matt Sorum and Slash and the Pope, you should get a free coat. Not going to get a free jacket. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good one. Uh, this is a more or less question, so. Um pretty straightforward metallica is playing creeping death more than a thousand times or less than a thousand times uh, more good answer that is a good answer what's the most played metallica song master it's either master or creep i gotta look that up it's one of those two i gotta fire up the old computer here just like clark don't eat the truckster here we go i think master of puppets will be the Probably the top song that they played. I'm going to say Master, Creep, or Seek. It's not Sandman. I know that. What's your guess, Jeff? I'm guessing either Creep or Puppets. Creep, 1,536. Oh, my God. Puppets, 1,657. There you go. It's Puppets. I got to see Seek. That's somehow in my mind here. Seek 1,584. That beats out Creep. Puppets, Seek, Creep, top three. Followed by Dirty Window. (laughs) I thought it was Purify. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff, how many times they played Purify? Once in the fucking rehearsal DVD. That's a good answer. That's a trick question. According to the website, zero. That rehearsal DVD is solid. I actually watched some of that last week. Yeah, it is solid. Everything you would want from the record, but they decided to go trash can. But that's all right, because I love it. That's when Rob's wearing Jinkos. (laughs) The shorts? Yeah, Jinko jean shorts that are actually pants. You remember that shit? Oh, yeah. All right, Jason, if you had to pick one, if you look back... Okay, let's say Metallica retires in 5 to 10 to 15 years. My heart's breaking. I know. Mine is, too. I've, there's there's tears coming down, down both sides of my face. One Metallica memory to tell 30 years from now, what would it be? Of a gig? 
anything, maybe from the time you got that cassette till right now, what would it be? A Metallica memory. Shit, I don't know. There's been so many crazy things. It's tough, like, but people ask me, Shane, if you had one memory, what would you share? And I'm like, let me get back to you in a week. I would say standing, um, that guy that I was telling you about, Tim Duffy, which was the tour accountant for those guys, um, it was that gig in at the Coliseum in L.A. We were watching from on the stage for the first little bit, and then we went out to the front of house soundboard, and like the, the lighting stuff was right above it, this big... We climbed up the pipes, you know, the ones with the little, the little edges. We climbed up there, 85,000 people. Um, I can't remember the lighting guy's name, but this is, this is before automation and everything else. So we're up there, the band is playing one, and the guy is, he's doing the, the kick drums on the, the lights, and we're on top of the audience watching Metallica play this. I, can, I just got chills thinking of it, see it in my mind right now. You're just watching them hit the strobes going, that moment. And that was shit over 20 years ago. And right now is still has the same impact as it had then. Cause that's such a big deal for me, right? Like all the stuff that was probably John Broderick, JB. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That was the guy he was with him basically well, past the GNR guns thing, and oh, he's with them for a long time into all that stuff. But yeah, so just those guys and their t- their timing was impeccable back then, because you had to be. There wasn't you know any sort of simpy stuff or this or automation or computers or any of that stuff. It was, it was old, like, and we're just up there standing right by the guy, and he's like a conductor doing all this shit, like perfectly in time. That's pretty cool too. When you're kind of perched up high and you're looking over eighty thousand people as well. Well, that, you know, so that's right at the top of the list. You know, seeing a band like this in a place where you can touch the roof with 75 other people. Yeah. Grimies. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, side stage in Japan. You know, when I was a kid growing up where I grew up, I never even thought of ever going to Japan, much less being on the side of the stage for the Master of Puppets record. Jeff, that makes me think he saw the night where they played the new song and the other new song. Oh, right, yeah. In Osaka? Yeah, that was, was it like 105 degrees? Yeah. (laughs) I I swear it was one of those nights where they played new song or other new song. And and they turned out to be like death magnetic kind of medleys, Jason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like riffs or something like that, yeah. Well, because those guys take so long to make records, but they have to be great. Have to. You know, like, I want to hear a new Metallica record, but... I want it to be better than hardwired, if that's possible. Because you have all of these roller coasters, and obviously there was a time in between that if they didn't evolve into the load-reload time frame, Absolutely. they may have gone the way of bands that don't have the notoriety as them, like Slayer or Megadeth or this or all the rest of it. So if it's not something... I don't know how you can play like that when you're 57. Like... Lars playing battery at 57 years old, I'd probably die in like 60 seconds. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just turned 40 and I'm about ready to die playing some of that shit. Right. So I don't know how long they can go on for, but I think you heard that that interview of him talking about going to that old cello thing where it's like Neil Young and old Paul McCartney. The drummers are like 27 years old and these guys are like 75. Yeah, right, right. 
because you know the drummer, especially in that music, it's just it's it's crazy. You know the fact that they can do what they do now, this far into it, and then be able to achieve it, and have that audience because Metallica is bigger now than they've ever been. Yes, the Amazon of heavy metal. And, <laughs> you know what I, mean? I like that. That's a great quote. I was telling Jeff a couple. You know, I went to Aftershock and Lower Than Life. It's weird, and it's it's kind of hard to accept that Whiplash and Ride and Battery are been pulled back in the Temple Department. But if it gives us another five or ten years, totally cool with it. It's all good. Yeah, but I wonder why. Because I don't think it would be solely for that reason. Like, do you think pulling I, it back five BPM saves you another five years? I think it does. I think it makes the show tighter. Um, you also get to go from 18 to 16 songs in a two-hour set. And I think over the course of time, and if you're going to tour for another five years, that I think that adds up. And I think Jeff can agree with me. If you, if, if you play battery or fight fire on guitar, slow down and is noticeable, you you feel a lot better at the end of that set. Yeah, I could, I could agree with that. Well, I guess, yeah. And... I, I think it. I have a feeling. I feel like it's longevity too, or maybe it's just the simple fact that they just don't feel like. I don't want to say putting in 110 because they put in 120 every night, but it, it's not a necessity anymore. You know what I mean? Right. Like they can, and and like Shane said, you know, you bring it back a little bit, you cut a couple songs out of the set. I mean, with how much they play, I think over the course of time, you know two songs one night, two songs the next night, and, you know, those added songs that are getting taken out will add up over time, and I think it will, I think it will definitely make a difference for them. I get it. Well, Hetfield's looking better than ever. Looking good, sounding good, and like you said, late 50s, that's, that's damn good. And Frantic sounds amazing live. <laughs> Listen, Frantic's not a bad song. No, but <laughs> it Jeff, just Jeff wants to hear Frantic at the 40th. More than Dyer's Eve, Jason, and you'll see you'll hear that tomorrow on the new episode. Oh, I heard Dyer's Eve um, when they played here. No, but Jeff wants to hear Frantic over Dyer's Eve at the 40th. Well, he asked me if I had to choose, and I said Frantic <laughs> because I think that they will play Frantic better than they'll play Dyer's Eve. No. <laughs> I mean, di- if anybody thinks that they can successfully go up and play Dyer's Eve well... Right now, I I mean I don't see it. it's there's gonna be no double bass for one you know that oh, Lars come is on come on Kirk is is a great guitar player but I don't see I I, I some of the really fast ripping solos it's I just don't think he he cares to to play them like he used to so I just don't think it's gonna sound right and I don't care to hear that solo get butchered personally Jeff Jason's friend Toby actually played the solo on Dyer's Eve we'll just find that out right now. And he yeah. also did, he also did the drums on Dyer's like, Eve too. Dude, the band wasn't in one on one for that. Toby recorded that whole album himself. James did rhythm, he sang, <laughs> and then Toby did everything else. James, yeah. Toby, and Jason. <laughs> you, you, you guys can go home. Just come hit hit all the notes and just do your thing. Toby made justice what it is, and I'm forever grateful. He goes, "Hey, it's the late '80s. Don't worry, we got Pro Tools. Oh wait, yeah. <laughs> you guys know that. You guys know that those solos were recorded in like." little sections absolutely so it's like five notes and then they cut it all together like how they did that that was their 80s way of recording shit and that's when bob rock was like i couldn't get over the process that these guys had it was just unbelievable well i have a piece of the justice for all tape like from the from the studio 
like some leftover oh, piece or whatever. Cool. And, and, and Toby gave me this little piece of tape or whatever, right? But the, the razor blade cut it and all this other stuff. And it's just, I don't know how the hell they did that. Like, how do you even figure out how to do that? Old school, baby. You cut, they did drums for six months. Old school, baby. Unbelievable. And then the Newstead parts, because Jason's a great bass player. And it's just kind of, you don't have to talk about that. You guys obviously know that part, but... It's just, but at the same time, that if there was bass that was turned up on that record, it would change the whole feeling of it. And that's why Jeff and I are grateful that that record sounds how it does. Yeah, it 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 was a piece of time that you know that was kick drum and lead vocal and a bunch of other stuff and guitar and. As a drummer, one of the best records ever mixed. <laughs> <laughs> when the hi hats louder than the vocal, I love it. I've got something. I gotta run. I'm not gonna leave. I've gotta run and grab something from the other room super quick. I want to show you guys because you guys will appreciate this. Sounds good. Then we'll wrap it up. This is gonna be interesting to edit, Jeff. Yeah. I need Kid Rock. I need Motley Crue. <laughs> no, I'm not sending anything from Generation Swine. That's okay. I have it all. Yeah, you can you can add in the Swine part. The Generation tracks. Yeah, that's, Jason's that's got a surprise me. for us here on Riverside.fm. I cannot wait to see this. Does he got a Lady Justice statue already? <laughs> Probably. They're two hundred bucks, by the way. <laughs> and there, there's nineteen hundred and eighty-eight of them. I, I looked it up. Is that what it really is? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Nineteen eighty-eight. They're a foot tall, and they're one hundred ninety-nine bucks. A foot nice. tall? That's decent size. I, I may get one because the Justice thing plays a. a you know, your guys' podcast kind of thing. And oh, dude. The, whole, the justice thing plays a big part of all of this stuff and me getting into music and all the rest of it. So I was over at Toby's one night and he's, you know, it's got all the corn. He did five Alice records and all this other stuff. And there's this record there. And, you know, Toby knows I'm a big Metallica guy. And he looks at me, he's like, he says, hey, do you want that? And I was like, well, want it how? He's like, well, you can have it. I said, dude, if I take this record... I'm never giving it back. And he goes, well, go ahead and take it. Oh, my God. So here you go is a double platinum justice record. Oh, Oh my God. (laughs) fucking Lord. (laughs) Jeff, look at that shit. Wow. That is something else. Yeah. So so for me and all the crazy shit that I've said in the last hour and a half, you know, this is like a huge deal. And I was wow. like, I'm never giving that back to you ever. And he's like, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> wow. Jason, that is, that's incredible. I am more jealous than you'll ever know. And wow. Where's where that Where's that in your house? I was going to say, that, that might be in my bedroom. I wake up and I see a Metallica record on my wall. I've got. Um, is that double platinum or single platinum? No, that's two million. Double two million. Platinum. Okay. That must be, that's probably the coolest piece of metallica i don't even want to call that memorabilia because that's just like that and i love how the cassettes in there but that that might be the coolest thing that we've seen we've had some pretty cool shit uh shown to us on riverside.fm video conference but i don't think that'll ever be topped no that's glad that i could share that with you jason that is so cool i I have to come to Nashville just to see that. Yeah, he just he's like, can I just can I touch it? We can take it for lunch. <laughs> I I wouldn't Shane's even buying. take that. I and I'd expect you to say, Shane, go wash your hands and put on these gloves before handling it. Ah, it's all good. 
Wow, that is impressive. Jeff, we're moving to Nashville. We're going to live right next to Kid Rock <laughs> and uh, the 45 other people he just listed off. Mick, yeah, Vince, we got Vince this. and his broken ribs. And- <laughs> Mustang lives down the road. Exactly. I got him his house here, actually, when he moved from California. Mustang's house? What? Yeah, he moved from Fallbrook, California, and he was... I ran into him at Iron Maiden. So he's like, know. dude, find me a home. Eight, nine years ago. No, he was going to move to Austin, Texas. Yeah. And I said, dude, <laughs> you're not going to fit in in Austin. No, it's said, not going to go over well. I said, come here. So I was working with his daughter because his daughter is a singer and all this and writing songs and all the rest of it. He, he started thinking about moving here. So I knew a real estate agent. So I was like, hey, this guy from this band, Megadeth, because she didn't know. She's like 60-some-year-old real estate agent in Nashville. Sure. Um. So we found this house. He's got this like 10, 12 acre spread over there in, in Franklin, about 10, 15 minutes from me. And he's lived there since I think 13, maybe 13 or 14. I can just see that real estate agent going, who is this Dave Mustard guy? <laughs> <laughs> Who's this Dave Mustang guy? I never heard of him. And oh, what a nice young lad. I tell you, I, when he moved into that house, I, I've held the kill em all gold record. Oh, Dude, he's got the kill them all <laughs> and Metallica's super like with him. He's got a wall Metallica stuff, uh, ocean of Megadeth stuff. He's got SDP corn. He took Alice in Chains facelift. There's a gold uh, facelift record on the wall. Jeff, I don't even know what to say. Yeah, that overwhelmed uh, double, that double platinum kind of left me speechless. A little bit cooler than Kiss's double platinum. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, that's got cold gin on it. Yeah, I'm no complaints there. Hundred thousand years, baby. Hundred thousand years, yeah, yeah. To wrap it up with with uh, with uh, Ricky, <laughs> there's got to be some Rickyism with that or something. Oh, there's know? there's always some kind of Rickyism, you know. It's uh... oh, daily life. I say a trailer park quote. Oh yeah, Rickyisms are the best. You know, it's not rocket appliance. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, an hour and 47 minutes ago, I asked you the airport code for BNA. What does that stand for? I forgot. Hold on. Let me look it up. I don't even know what BNA stands for. I thought you'd come up with something creative in an hour and 47. It's it's Barry Field something. Something to do with that. Really? Yeah. The airport code is BNA, which stands for Barry Field Nashville in honor, in honor of Colonel Barry. The more he, you know. He has that exact, yes. The more you know moment of the night. Well, Jason, thanks again. Thanks for putting up with us for the last 75, 80 weeks. Glad you're <laughs> digging the show, and the people are really going to be digging your story. That was a hell of a story, and we definitely have you back for part two. Yeah, I can't wait for part two. Thank you very much for having me. Jeff, anything else? No, man, that was that was amazing. Thanks again, Jason. We really appreciate it, and hopefully we'll talk soon. Okay, can't wait. Season six, episode three from Nashville, over and out. See you later, dudes. See ya.